Today, you'll hear an episode that was originally released exclusively to our Patreon subscribers during Season 2 of Council for Life. Any promotions or giveaways mentioned in the episode were reserved for our subscribers at the time of the original release. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a subscriber, keep listening at the end of this episode for information about how to join us. This is Council for Life, a podcast engaging conversations about mental health and the Christian life with licensed biblical counselors Beth Broom and Eliza Huey. Welcome back, subscribers, to Council for Life. I'm Beth. And I'm Eliza. Well, today, Eliza, we are going to chat about something that I think we'll we'll all be able to connect to, and that has to do with children. And so whether you are a parent or a, a counselor who works with children or a counselor who works with parents of children right. or a ministry leader, really, I mean, obviously, children are all around us, and we are called as believers to disciple the next generation, mm-hmm. regardless of whether we are physically um, parents to to children in our homes. And so today we're going to talk about how to help kids who are struggling, yeah. how to come alongside them. And uh, we want to just give you some some helpful, practical things that we hope will, will give you some some insight into how to come alongside kiddos. And um, I'm excited to, to talk about this. Eliza, you have a lot of insight into this as a parent of children who are now grown, but also as a counselor and as someone who's written extensively on this topic, working with kiddos and raising kids who are emotionally healthy. And so um, if when you think about kind of step one, like what do you think would be a, a good first step? If you're walking alongside a child who is struggling in a particular way, whether that's with anxiety or depression or they're not motivated or something like that, and you know something's going on, but they're not necessarily really talking with you about it, mm-hmm. what are some, what's kind of like a, a first thing that we mm. want to think about as adults? Yeah, what comes to my mind when kids struggle, like we all want to help. That's really the, the key. We do want to help. And I think one of the things that we miss is that one of the best ways that you can help right at the beginning, when you notice a a child is struggling or when a kid's struggling is just to normalize their experience. They can feel like they are the only one who feels this way. They can feel like the only one who's struggling and it's really helpful. I mean, you and I know that just as when we struggle, just for people to be like, wow, I, that makes sense based on your experience or whatever. And I would encourage you, even if it doesn't make sense to you, because sometimes kids will struggle and it doesn't make sense to us to help them understand that you're normalizing the fact that we, we can all be in that place sometimes. So get on their level, understand where they are, depending on what age they are. It's going to look very different. If they're a young child, normalizing their experience is going to look very different than if you're talking to a teenager. So you really want to understand them. And um, like I said, get on their level and regard their feelings, really. Just recognize that even though you may not agree with their feeling, with their feeling, you can regard it. You can, you can help, help them see that, okay, I want to be sensitive to what you're feeling right now. What you're doing in that is really just building that trust of a relationship. Even if you have a trusting relationship with them, you're helping them see that they can trust you with their feelings. Mm -hmm. And so I think normalizing it is what comes to my mind first and foremost. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm grateful to hear you say that. I do want to play devil's advocate for just a second, sure. Eliza, because I do think a lot of parents, in particular, that 
um, that I've talked to or that I've spent time with, uh, one of the things that I think we we might feel nervous to normalize a feeling that a child is having or an experience a child is having because we don't want to accidentally, I'm using air quotes, we don't yeah. want to accidentally make it seem like it's okay. Like, for example, if a child has, uh, you know, we've got a four-year-old kiddo who's um, crying and even yelling or kicking because they don't want to leave the playground. Like mm-hmm. they, they, they want to play some more and normalizing their feeling. We might feel like we can, oh, I can't do that because I might accidentally make it seem like, oh, it's fine that you're throwing a temper tantrum. Right. You know? And so I think I really like what you said. I, I, I wonder if you'll say just a little bit more. Um, yeah. You said to, the, to, to regard What's the difference between regarding a child's feeling and affirming that it's it's okay right. that they're behaving in a certain way? Because I think that's a hard balance to strike. It is. And, it, and specifically, like I mentioned, it really will depend on the age and stage your child is in. But, but you mentioned a younger, maybe a four-year-old child or something like that. Part of that is just helping them become aware of their emotions and how their emotions are impacting others as well. So one of the ways that you can validate or regard their feelings without necessarily saying, I agree with you is helping them become aware, like what they're actually feeling. This is feeling, this is where emotions wheels come in handy. I think I see more and more. I have a lot of friends with younger kids, emotion wheels hung up in the kitchen and bathrooms and different places. When I visit my friends who have younger children, it's just helping them give those words. This is what I'm actually feeling because a four-year-old might actually not be able to identify. I'm feeling sad right now, even though it's coming out in anger or, Mm. or disobedience or frustration, like helping them understand that at that younger age. And then even at that very young age, helping them see that, okay, this is what you're feeling. And this is how it's impacting others is a good step in regarding their feelings, recognizing their feelings, noticing them, normalizing them and so forth. But as they get older, it's going to look different. So some some kids, as they get older, part of normalizing them, normalizing their feelings or regarding them without necessarily saying this is the right feeling is is beginning to allow them to express independent thinking about mm-hmm. something, which means they're going to have feelings about things that you as a parent don't share. Right. And so helping them express that in a way that's helpful, vocalizing and sharing their emotional struggles rather than uh, stuffing them, rather than just acting out in a certain way like regarding and normalizing their feelings helps uh, them actually by drawing them out in certain ways, being involved in their interactions rather than just saying, you're feeling this way, go away until you feel differently mm-hmm. or whatever, being involved in that process. So, yeah, that's good. And I also think it keeps it doing this process of, of normalizing and paying attention to, and just uh, regarding someone's feelings is part of the process of helping it to not have so much power, like how you feel in this moment is if this is right now, I mean, five Mm -hmm. minutes from now, you may feel something different. This is not who you are as a person, right? This is what it means to be human. You're going to move in and out of feelings. And so I think that's helpful too, because it lessens the degree of, of weight. I think that sometimes emotions can carry, um, because you're just saying, yeah, this is just where we are. It's okay. And uh, we don't, we're, we're, I don't assume that this, this is the makeup of your whole yeah. character in this moment. Right. Right. And I think what can happen though, is something happens in us when our ch- child is feeling, is struggling, is mm-hmm. feeling emotionally really distressed or is struggling. And it, maybe it's not just a one moment in time, but it's a kind of a continual struggle. And I think we can fall into automatic responses, Beth. I think it's very easy for us to 
move into something that's just automatic for us. And um, I don't know, as you think about that, I mean, I, I, I have a few things that come to my mind. I think we can be fixers automatically, but what are some things like, do you wait a minute? I don't know. I disagree. Eliza, you're, you're calling me out right now. Uh, Well, what are some ways that you feel like maybe not you, you don't have to, (laughs) yes, it is me. I'll I'll be honest (laughs) that we can kind of do automatically when we experience a child who is struggling. Yes. I, I think, um, I think, uh, an automatic for a lot of us is to take, uh, to take offense. The child is doing this mm-hmm. at me. And so my job in this moment is to correct that is mm-hmm. to correct something to, um, explain why the child is incorrect, right? As if this moment is all is automatically about, uh, you said something and I need to correct you, or you did this thing and it offended me. And I need to tell you that you've offended me or whatever. It's like, yeah. um, that, and, and I'm not saying that children don't need correction. Believe yeah, me, they right. do. But we, in we, a we. given moment, when a child is expressing emotion, even big emotion, yeah. if we can slow down enough to realize, okay, something's happening here and it may or may not have to do with me directly. Like right. it may not be, like if my child yells and says something at, to me, he might not be saying it at me. Mm. Even if he is, he's he's feeling something big yeah and it's really hard i mean i'll just it's hard as a parent to not fly into that mode of i need to correct this i need to discipline my child immediately you know all of these things and yeah. again don't hear me say listeners that i don't believe in discipline because i 100 percent do it's just timing it's like what's happening right now in this exact moment and i want to pay attention to that first because i might be able to diffuse this <laughs> If I can stay regulated, um, instead yeah. of just automatically, um, saying what is, I think maybe the typical thing, go to your room or, yeah, or, or enforcing- you're, you're grounded <laughs> immediately right. before we even have exactly. a conversation. Yeah. We can enforce different rules. We can get stricter in the moment. We can begin to feel like, okay, then these are things that need to be out of your life. And there may be moments where there are some things that need to be changed, But if that's your automatic response is to become a corrector, become a fixer, become more like tightened down when your child is struggling, we want to encourage you to go a different direction. While there might be some things that need to be changed, we do want to consider a few things as you have when a child is struggling, if you have a child who's struggling, how you can help. One of the best ways is to not necessarily go to those automatic things, but to instead embrace some things that might not come automatically. And that is specifically related to connecting to the struggling child. And we're going to share with you just a few ways that we feel are going to be helpful. Not We don't even feel this way. These are things that are helpful. Let me be a little bit more straightforward with it. When you want to connect with a child, especially when a child is struggling, and I'll share one and Beth, I'll just open it up to you. Um, I think we need to learn to ask good questions, questions that are going to draw our children out, questions that help them give voice to their experience, to help them um, give words to it. And sometimes in asking those questions, especially with a child who you might, listeners might be thinking like, okay, that's all fine, but I'm going to ask a child, or if I ask my child a question when they're struggling, their answer is, I don't know. (laughs) you know, and, or they just maybe don't even say that much. They just shrug their shoulders. So oftentimes these questions are best asked in paired options. So Mm -hmm. are you feeling this way or are you feeling this way? Do you want to be alone or do you want me to sit with you? Asking good questions. Can we talk about this now? Or do you want to wait and 
you know, talk about it a little mm-hmm. bit later, like giving them alternatives in the question asking, but we need to ask good questions, questions that don't put them on the defense, but questions that let them explore what happened and when did you feel this way? And when was the first moment that you started feeling like you were not doing well in this situation or whatever it is? So Hmm. I'll kind of throw it to you. That just came to my mind as far as learning to connect better with a child when they're struggling. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically, so for example, a teenager who, I mean, let's just be honest, teenagers have big emotions and some of that is their stage of life, the confusion of being in the stage that they're in hormones, all the things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to recognize that, man, they may even just like little kids, you mentioned the four-year-old might not know what they're feeling. So might a teenager not know what they're feeling, yes. right? Like there may be, exactly. or I know that I'm angry, but I don't know why it's, it just hit me. And that's a real thing. And I, I don't want us to forget as adults that we were there too. We yeah. know what that feels like. We know what it feels like to be like, I have no idea why I'm so angry, but something, but it matters. It's, it's anger is a, a signal. It's telling me that something's off. Something needs to be thought through. And I'm probably not going to do that by myself as a teenager. So for a parent or a caregiver or a teacher to be able to, again, be able to just notice and say, seems like there's something going on here. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what that is. So just being a willing listener, listening, somebody who's yeah. ready to, to lean in and pay attention to that. Um, even if even if the child or teenager says, no, I don't want to talk about it, or they don't believe you that you're a listener, keep saying it. Whenever there's big emotion, just keep saying it. It seems like something's going on here. I don't want to assume even that I know what it is. It seems like something's going on. I'd love to hear. I'd love to listen. And then, but then now you've committed yourself to something. I'm just warning you guys, right? Like we've committed ourselves to something when we say we want to listen that means a particular thing. And what it means is that we're not waiting for our turn to respond. Right. So that we can correct whatever they're saying. We're not, you know, we're not in our mind formulating a plan for how to fix this issue. We really are seeking to know the person that's in front of us. Yeah. And that's hard work when you're the parent, especially because this teenager in whatever they say, they may be saying things that feel offensive to you or that, that seem like they're, they're uh, lashing out at you as a person. And that's just hard. It's, yeah. it's harder as a parent than as a counselor. I can tell you that for sure. Uh, because you're, it's very personal. It can be yeah. very, very personal. Well, and keep your expectations, um, minimal when you are trying to draw out a child who's struggling, because you know, yourself, when you are struggling, putting words to it is very difficult. So like Beth said, taking it slow and just continuing to let them know that you want to hear what's going on. You've asked some good questions to draw them out. And if your child who's struggling does share something, even if it's just a sentence or two where they say, I just don't know why I feel like I'm feeling these, these days. And that's all they can manage to get out. Or I just don't like how I feel, or my friends just, they seem to have all, abandon me or aren't, aren't, um, including me in things or whatever they shared with you. So like Beth said, avoid the temptation to speak into that. But instead, if you don't know what to do then, because then you're like, okay, then what do I say? Cause it feels so much like I should say something simply say, thank you so much for telling me that Mm. that's important. And I'm glad to hear it. Just letting them know that you are glad 
that they shared it and they don't have to expound. They don't have to go any further because what you're trying to do is promote this place of like, I hear you. I want to hear you. I'm listening. And you're so glad that they shared it with you. So thank them when they do open up, even if it's the smallest amount. And if it's a lot more, then you can say, wow, this was so good to hear. And if it feels like it, it it could be the right time, you could say, you know, I'd love to be able to share some thoughts with that, some thoughts about that with you. Um, but you do need to recognize like they might be emotionally overloaded. So if you share it with them right now, they might not really hear it. Mm -hmm. So it might be better to say, you know, maybe we can talk about this again tomorrow, or we can go out to lunch or whatever, you know, and, and then you have an opportunity to say, Hey, do you want to, do you want to hear some things that I thought about? after you shared some of those things with me. That's so great. And I, I want to emphasize again that there are age appropriate things, right? Like yes. there's a different way you're going to do this with a young child than with a teenager, for example. And the older a kiddo gets, the more leeway and freedom you're giving them to uh, ex- experiment and explore with solutions to problems. Yeah. Whereas when they're little, I mean, you know, if you've got a first grader who's being bu- being bullied on a playground, well, you're probably going to take quicker action mm-hmm. as someone who steps in to be a helper than you would with a teenager, um, depending on the situation, of course. But um, so so there's age appropriate things that I think are important. But man, I, I was really convicted by what you said, Eliza, uh, because I think for me, I'm so hungry to hear from my kiddos and to know what's going on with them that when they share one thing, I want more. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I might tend to push harder than I need to in that moment mm-hmm. that could actually make them back up, it you really know, because I'm like, Oh, 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 you shared something. Tell me more, you know? And so giving them the opportunity to share as much as they are willing and then circling back later, that's really wise. I think to, to, to not try to have, Oh, this one conversation is everything. And I have to get it all in right now. You don't. No. And the, the, the longevity of it is the beauty of, being in a long-term relationship with a child, whether you're the parent or a youth leader or whatever, yeah, you're going to get more opportunities. And so you, yeah. you recognize that what you're doing is playing the long game and discipleship and sanctification. It's a long game, right? Yeah. So and that's it's so trusting helpful. the Lord. It's trusting the Lord with that because then in that moment, instead of feeling urgent, I have to do this. I have to say this. You say, okay, Lord, Thank you for this moment. And I'm praying for another. So yeah, yeah. so great. So then Eliza, what would you say if, if to, to a parent or a caregiver of some sort who they have, maybe they've tried these things, or maybe they're, uh, they're just the, the extent to which the child in their life is struggling is really, it feels like too much for mm-hmm. them to handle. What would you say? Like, how do, how do you know yeah. When to get help or how do you know what resources to, to try to link to, 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 to go beyond just yourself as the person who's trying to help? That's a good question. Cause I think people have definitely felt that way. And I, I do, before I answer that, I do want to add one more thing as I was thinking, even as you were talking, we do also want to recognize that there's a reason why talk therapy is not necessarily the number one thing for children that play therapy exists for a reason and just helping, helping parents understand that, um, if your child's struggling to open up, that's not abnormal, right? That, that there's other ways to draw your children out. And so we've talked a lot about how to ask good questions and listen, but I also want to just encourage, and Beth, you've actually brought this up many times of just recognize that sometimes movement is helpful. Mm -hmm. Like 
taking a walk with them and talking can be a good idea or get in the car and say, let's go for a drive and put some of their favorite music on or whatever. And then slowly, you know, begin to ask the questions in those kind of environments or give them something physically to hold that can distract them. I do that a lot when I counsel children, I have stuff in my office and I will just toss a ball at them or, and it can be anything like I've used paper clips or whatever Mm -hmm. that have texture, you know, helping them feel like the focus isn't just on whatever words are coming out of my mouth. I can focus on this thing that I'm holding. All of those things help attend to the child a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you are in a situation where you're feeling like, I just don't know um, if what's happening is really just something that is within my pay scale as a parent, Mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah, it is important to know when to get help. And I think the the thing that is important in this, I I just want to share the Association for Child Mental Health describes a mental health crisis as any time that your child is no longer safe to himself or others, or when there's a need for immediate action or intervention. It's basically when all of your time and energy is being kind of demanded on in order to care for your child's emotional state. That is an emotional health crisis. And it does make sense to get help. And a couple of things that I think are key in that is don't think of help as just professional, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be just professional. So as we throw that out there, like there are people in your kids' lives that disciple them, a youth pastor, maybe their pastor, maybe a teacher, maybe a mentor, maybe somebody who's just a couple of years older than them, even who just has a good way of speaking into their lives. If they are believers, so essential to draw on them during this time and letting them speak to your child or, and even talking to them about what they see. Do they see your child struggling? Cause a lot of times your kids can be doing really well out there in the, in the real world. And then they struggle at home. So bringing other people into that, but there are times when there are situations that require um, more help. And I would say, you know, you're looking for specifically, does this situation kind of dominate your child's life? Is this struggle that they're in keeping them from their normal activities, their normal interests, their normal um, way of engaging in life? Are you seeing decline in school or significant behavior changes? Obviously, if you're seeing potential signs of, of, Uh, drug use or drug abuse in teens, things like that, self-harm. I don't know any other, I'm trying to think of all the things, any others that you're thinking of Beth, that maybe are uh, changes in appetite, I think, or Mm -hmm. changes in sleep. Um, Yeah. Any, any kind of change that feels quick, um, like their grades drop suddenly, or, you know, they're, they're, they're no longer wanting to hang out with their friends. They don't want to go to their sports activities anymore, you know, things like that. Whenever you notice these kinds of changes. And also I think just isolation. Um, if, if a child is isolating, um, man, we're just not meant to live like that. So, so I think, I think that's something to at least pay attention to. It doesn't necessarily mean there's a crisis, but to just pay attention and then, yeah, I mean, there are, there's a reason why people go to school and become professional counselors to work with kids and teenagers. They have specific skills and training and an understanding of what, uh, what's happening in the mind and the heart of a teenager or a child. And so that's, that's something to tap into if, yeah. if, and as you can. And, you know, that's just, it's just an important resource that you can, that you can utilize as a parent if your child is struggling. Yeah. And if you don't know where to go for that, because a lot of times parents will be like, well, who do I ask? Who do I, who, where, who do I 
where do I sign up for counseling for my child? If that's needed, I would start with, if your child's in school, ask your, your child's teacher. A lot of times they have recommendations, sometimes even within the school that can be utilized along with a youth pastor or even, you know, a trusted mentor or friend, because you do really want there to be spiritual guidance in that. Ask your pastor. Oftentimes pastors have a list of vetted uh, counselors in the area where they have either used or someone in the congregation has used and have had good experience. Have They've had good experiences with them. So ask, you certainly can go to the association of biblical counselors. They will often have uh, resources there of how to find a counselor, uh, various places that are available. Um, certainly you can, as listeners, you can reach out to us and we will do our best to, to answer those questions as well, but don't feel that if you are at the place that you feel like I need help with my child. That means I'm a bad parent or I'm failing or my child is bound for the mental health ward. That is not true at all. It means that just like your child, you have a limited capacity and you need help as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for helping us get this podcast out to all of the platforms and uh, we are so grateful for you. And if this has been helpful, we encourage you to share about our podcast, Council for Life, with other people and smash that like button. It sounds like a silly thing, but it actually sends the episode out further to other people who might not ever see it. So liking it, following it always helps subscribers. Thank you so much. We are so grateful for each one of you. And we hope that you will join us again for another episode of Council for Life. Thanks for listening to Council for Life. Want to become a friend of the podcast? Join our Patreon. Friends of the podcast receive bonus episodes each month that take a deeper dive into topics discussed and provide additional practical and personal insight from the hosts. Friends of the podcast will also be entered into monthly drawings for free resources from our sponsors. For more information, visit www.councilforlifepodcast.com. And as always, please like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.